good morning, ZPC. It is good to be here with you this morning. And uh, as I said to a couple of you, I mean, after a week of this, it actually doesn't feel that bad. Am I right? It's not too, it's almost balmy uh, out. Uh, but I was almost like a high schooler and just went out in, in shorts and a short sleeve shirt today. So that's, uh, that's what happens as we begin to acclimate uh, to the weather uh, slowly but surely. I did want to just say one uh, thing quickly, which is a, a thank you to all of you who participated in last Sunday's uh, service and what a gift that was. Uh, certainly, uh, it was a gift to um, be alongside my brother in Christ, Pastor Scott, after his 30 years here at ZPC. Uh, I also want to be really clear, I have not read all of the notes. Um, there were a lot of them, and I like kind of going through slowly these kinds of things. So if you're having a day that's not that great, you open it up, and you're like, look at that, I'm not that bad. And uh, now I haven't read them all, so there might be some that don't say that, so it might uh, come back to bite me, but, um, but I am just kind of slowly going through them, and it really is a great gift. So thank you uh, for all of those who have participated, who participated in that. I did have, I'll just say this, somebody asked whether or not I would come again if given the opportunity, uh, and I thought that was a great question. So as we, I'm just kidding, and I would, I said yes, I said yes, I said yes, sorry. All right, so uh, we are looking again here at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Now for some of you, this is the third time you've heard this this morning. For some of you, this is the second time. For some of you, are wondering what am I talking about right now? I was watching, I noticed some of you, so, so we've been slowly reading through Luke 19, 1 through 10, um, and I'm going to ask you again as we do that uh, to think about, is there a particular word or a particular phrase that kind of stands out to you as we read this uh, well-known passage for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, uh, a well-known story that we likely heard uh, and sang a song to when we were much younger. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save 
the lost. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we do pray that you would be with us this morning. Continue to enliven us to your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So lately, especially I'd say the last year or two, um, Megan and I have uh, had many folks, uh, many of them, you come up to us and just talk to us about how, uh, how tall uh, our girls are getting and how much they seem to be growing and, and, and maturing. Um, and honestly, I don't really notice it that much. In fact, it's really only when people point that out that I then begin to reflect and think, oh yeah, I guess that really is happening. Because when you're always around somebody and when you know them really well, it's kind of hard to see um, all the little details of their life and the ways in which they kind of are slowly but surely growing. And I thought about that when it came to the story of Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus, again, is one of those stories that many of us know so well, you know, that we sang the song growing up, perhaps, and And so we know it, but because we kind of just make these assumptions, because we know it so well, we don't really pay attention all that much to the little details about it. And we oftentimes also don't allow it to kind of grow up with us so that we don't see what it might say to us as we become uh, adults as much as what it said to us when we were four or five or six years old. So that's why I wanted us to slowly but surely just kind of keep going through it today to say what stands out to you? What's that word or that phrase? And so this morning, we're going to kind of slowly go through it, almost verse by by, uh, verse. Uh, And then at the end, I'm going to say just a couple of words that for me uh, stood out this week as I was studying this. The story begins like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing it. I don't want to say much about this other than just this once again reminder of the fact that Jesus is getting closer and closer to what city? Jerusalem. To Jerusalem, right? And the growing shadow of the cross is something that Jesus is slowly but surely getting closer and closer to, right? Jericho at this point, at least for us, feels more like a flyover city, if you will, right? He's really just going through so he can get to where he actually wants to go. But all of a sudden, there on the scene pops this man, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, we are told, is a chief tax collector and that he is rich. Now, what that tells us, of course, first of all, is that as a chief tax collector, he's not just kind of a bean counter of tax collector. He has worked his way up the corporate Ladder. Of course, many of his Jewish brothers and sisters would say he's worked his way up the trader ladder, right? Because this would have been a sense that he keeps kind of selling out to the oppressors who were the Romans. And so when we begin to hear this story, and you know, as people who know scripture, we begin to say, uh oh, he's a chief tax collector. But What we also know, because we've been going through this uh, book of Luke in a very steady, uh, stable, and plodding way, is that in the chapter right before this, 
there is a tax collector and there is a Pharisee. And we are told that actually the one who is righteous is the tax collector and not the Pharisee. And so as we're hearing the story, we begin to think, well, maybe Zacchaeus is going to be okay because he's a tax collector or, and, and, and he was deemed as being okay. But then when you go again to that previous chapter, you remember that there's also the rich young ruler who comes out and Jesus says, oh, at the end of this, it is harder or is easier, he says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to be saved. And so you think, well, if, if Zacchaeus is rich, then this doesn't look good for him. Zach's in real trouble here, right? Because he doesn't, you know, he's rich. So now, now we're thinking, well, poor Zacchaeus, he's going to be in trouble. But then, because I'm sure you're thinking this, you're also remembering that after that, the disciples said to Jesus, well, then who can be saved? And he said, well, with mortal, all things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible, and so then we're thinking, well, maybe things are going to work out for Zacchaeus, right? Uh, and so you kind of go back like a tennis game. We go back and forth, kind of watching them uh, serve and volley to think through what's going to happen in this story. And so Luke goes on. He says, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on a crowd of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. Now, this certainly means physically on the one hand, right? Certainly Zacchaeus is uh, likely shorter. You could actually also interpret it as Jesus being the one who was short. It's not entirely clear, but it likely means it's Zacchaeus. And he wants to physically be able to see Jesus. But the truth is, of course, he doesn't just want to physically see him, right? He's not just worried about, hey, I wonder what hair color this Jesus has. I wonder if his beard looks good. He's not just asking these questions, right? No, there is something that has piqued his curiosity, that he wants to be able to see Jesus, not just physically, but try to understand who this Jesus is. And we don't know why. Perhaps Zacchaeus has been hearing these stories about how this Jesus is welcoming to tax collectors. And this seems like something new that he'd like to see. Maybe like we talked about last week, maybe he is simply lost and, and, and he's ready to find some kind of meaning and purpose. He's ready to be found and he thinks that perhaps Jesus will help him with this. Or maybe he's just simply tired of being around the crowd and being caught up in the crowd. And so he just wants to be able to understand, is there something that is different about this Jesus? And so Luke tells us that he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, I want us to be thoughtful about this, and I want us to consider the fact that when, Jesus, when it says that Zacchaeus ran, you know this perhaps, that would have been anathema. They would never have run. A man would never have run in public like that. Not only that, he certainly would not have climbed a tree. Climbing a tree is child's play. And so what we begin to see is that Zacchaeus seems to no longer care about what others think 
about him. This gives us some insight into the fact of what's going on internally for Zacchaeus, which is that he really, really wants to understand who this Jesus is. He is willing to run and embarrass, even worse, to shame himself in order to run over and begin to climb up that sycamore tree. I also love the way that, you know, he's probably good with numbers. Uh, I love the way he's kind of navigated this, right? I mean, there was no flyer coming out saying, hey, the Jesus Jesus parade is going to pass by this particular sycamore tree, right? No, he already knows. He's thinking this through. He's like, okay, well, I know I can kind of figure this out where Jesus is going to be. So he, he runs ahead. And what we know is he wants to see Jesus. But what we are somewhat uncertain of is whether or not he wants Jesus to actually see him. Many, like Scott Hosey, have pointed out that the sycamore tree is a very leafy tree. In other words, it is a tree where it is easy to remain hidden. And I can appreciate that because I know that for many, it is often the case that what they want to do is they perhaps want to investigate Jesus a bit more. They want to get a bit closer, but they aren't yet sure that they want Jesus to pay too much attention to them Yet And so Zacchaeus here takes a small step where he wants to see Jesus, but is not yet certain that he wants to be seen by him. And of course, what I love is that Jesus doesn't actually give him much of a choice. Because we're told that as soon as he gets under that sycamore tree, he looks up and he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house Today. Now, if this was the phrase that stood out to you, congratulations, because this is really probably the richest passage in this, or the richest verse in this whole passage. What I love about this is that it reveals immediately to Zacchaeus that he is not in control. That whether or not he wants to see Jesus or be seen by Jesus, that Jesus always sees him. I appreciate what uh, Mita Stamper says about this part of the story. She says this, she says, people who seek Jesus tend to find that it was actually Jesus who was seeking them all along. When we begin to search for something more, when you get to the place where you begin to be unsettled with where you are, where you begin to think, surely there must be more to life than this. I must be getting something is not quite right. What you oftentimes will begin to discover is the thing that you are looking for has been there all along. What we would suggest as a Christian body, of course, is that the Jesus that you have been looking for has been there all along. It's just that now you are finally in the place to recognize where Jesus has been. Now, there's also something else that I think is interesting about this part, which is that Jesus just looks right up to him and calls his name Zacchaeus. There is something different that happens when someone calls you by name. I was thinking about this last uh, Saturday morning. Uh, we were uh, in Ohio and, as a family, and uh, I, I, uh, I hardly ever have used the Starbucks app uh, because it's kind of my way of fighting against uh, the machine, and so it's really making a big impact on them. And so, but... <laughs> 
Over the last few weeks, uh, I decided for the ease of it that I would, you know, I would start doing that. But I'm, you know, I'm still not that used to it. So on Saturday morning, I got up a little earlier and I went to Starbucks. I, I usually kind of go through my sermon. And, and so I went up and I ordered my coffee. And, uh, and as soon as uh, I did, uh, she said, uh, the barista, she said, uh, thanks, Jerry, that will be right out. And I got to tell you, it really weirded me out. Because I'm like, I'm in Ohio and I don't know you. And so I, I kind of all of a sudden, like, honestly, I can remember kind of, I turned this direction. I turned this direction as she said, Jerry. And I just thought, wait, what is happening right now? And then I thought through, oh, it's the app. But I have to tell you that there was a part of me that was a little bit offended. Because there was a part of me that was like, you don't know me. Right? Like, this is transactional. Like, okay, Bridget, thank you for that. There was a part of me that said, no, this is like a, this is like a, my name is kind of a private name, right? This is something I just share with people when I want to share it with them. But there was also a part of me, if I'm honest, who kind of liked it. I'm like, here I am. I'm in Ohio. I don't know anybody. I'm never going to see Bridget again. I've never seen her before, but you know what? All right, Bridget, I appreciate it. Why? Because it gave me a sense, even here far from home, a sense of belonging. It gave me just knowing my name, a sense like I felt like I was at least somewhat known, as strange as that may be. So the fact that Jesus then looks up, right, and just says Zacchaeus, it totally changes the dynamic of the conversation. It's not just a word. It is his name. It is Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, I know you. And then he goes on. I'd like to stay at your house today. He doesn't say that, I should say. What does he say? Instead, he says, I must stay at your home today. Now that's very fascinating. This I must stay. There's no real kind of invitation. There's no question. It's just I must stay. And theologians, when they look at this, they say, oh, that's, uh, they call this the divine mandate, right? Like he had no choice. And I've never really liked that verbiage. It's fine. And it's probably true. But it just kind of sounds obligatory, right? It's like, you know, when you do something because you know, well, this will probably make God happy or it'll make mom happy or it'll make dad happy. Like, okay, I have to come stay at your house today. Like that would do nothing for Zacchaeus, right? Oh, wow, that makes me feel warm and special that you feel like you have to. It's as if there's some kind of obligation. I don't think that's what Jesus means. I think in fact, what he means is that this is almost kind of a bubbling up from inside of him. You know, when you've gone maybe a long time without seeing someone that you really, care about and love, that there's this part inside of you that says, man, I've got to figure out a way to go see him or to go be with her. Like, I have to do this. I've got to. I must be with them because I love them. I miss them. I want to be in their presence. And I think this is what Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, right? It's actually this beautiful kind of act of saying, I love you so much that there's no way that I want to do anything, Zacchaeus, other than coming and being with you in your home. I must come be with you. I love the sense, and I hope that you feel this, that when God looks at you, when Jesus looks at you, he is saying, I must be with you. There are far too many at times when we kind of have this dichotomized faith, when faith is at church, and it's what happens right here, but it's not what happens, let's say, at your home, and oh man, what does it mean if Jesus comes to my home? But here's what you should know. Jesus loves to be with you, not because he wants to kind of put ramifications or all these rules and regulations around you, but because he loves you desperately. 
And so here we have Zacchaeus, and he just feels this love. He's been named by name, this Jesus. Can you believe it? He wants to come to my house. So what does he do? We are told he hurries down. He doesn't saunter down. He doesn't say, all right, but it's going to take me a little bit, minute. a little, little guy here. It's going to take a while for me to reach the ground. He doesn't say any of that, right? What does he say? He immediately comes home, right? And we're told that he is happy, that he has, that he, uh, that, that he's happy, which is not a great word, actually. It means more of rejoice. In fact, it's the same word that we find in Luke chapter 15 with those three parables of the lost and found, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Remember that? Rejoice. There is this great sense of joy from Zacchaeus. He cannot believe it that this Jesus who he thought, yeah, I kind of wanted to see, but all of a sudden as he experiences this person, he cannot wait. So there's a great amount of joy, but not everyone feels it. I love the verbiage here because it says all who saw it began to grumble and say he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. They began to grumble. Scott and Stan this week on their podcast, they talk about this word grumble briefly. It's the same word in the Old Testament when it comes to the Israelites and when they're in the wilderness. It's the same translation, that's in Hebrew, but the same translation in Greek, that same word grumble is used. Do you remember this grumbling? Barbara Brown Taylor talked about it uh, in the chapter that I talked about last week. But it's this great time here. They're, They're lost in the wilderness. And they say, remember, they had been living in slavery. Things had been horrible, but they begin to grumble to Moses and they're like, we just want to go back. Like, we, want, we would prefer to go back and to be slaves than to be lost here. Now, that seems strange. But, of course, a part of what you see happening is that when they were slaves, they at least knew what to expect. The rules were clear. They knew, okay, we may not get that much to eat, but at least we know exactly where it's going to come from here. We just have to wait every night to see whether or not, or every morning to see if there's going to be food. Who knows how long this man is going to be around? I mean, it's hit or miss. I mean, who knows? And I mean, can we trust this or not? I don't know. And, and, and we don't know exactly where we are. We're just kind of wandering around. It feels very vulnerable. They would prefer to go back to what they knew, even as horrible as it was, than to kind of wander around, as, as Taylor says, in this sacred lostness. And I kind of think that when you begin to think about it like that, it might make us or help us understand why these crowds, I don't think these crowds were just curmudgeonly. It's easy to just think, oh, these are just a bunch of grouchy people. Now, I actually think that when we begin to think about it like that, what we begin to see is the simple fact that you see, if Zacchaeus is welcomed by Jesus, this would have been remarkably disorienting to them. They like to be able to know exactly who is in and who is out. Who doesn't like that? They like to know this is who God loves. This is not who God loves. We like things that are black and white. We like to be able to rest in that. And if the way to Zacchaeus is opened up to be a part of their community, then all of a sudden it brings confusion and lostness. That there is a part of them 
that would prefer to at least know what to expect better or at least easier to follow a very defined set of rules and regulations than to get lost in a journey of grace that will take you to who knows where. And Jesus, of course, later what he will say is that this man is a son of Abraham. And if Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, then all of a sudden their world, their religious world is turned upside down. And many of us would prefer the chains and clarity of rules than we would the grace that God offers everyone. And this grace that God offers to Zacchaeus, it leads, as Jesus says, to salvation. And it's also helpful for us to then see how this leads to a remarkable transformation. You see, first of all, we see it in the home. Like all of a sudden his home has changed now because Jesus is in his home. But we see it as well at work, because why? What happens at work? All of a sudden now, his work is changed, right? The way that he does his work begins to change. And we see it with his heart, because all of a sudden he has this generous heart. All of these things begin to be transformed because of the fact that Jesus, or that, that Zacchaeus has received the grace of Jesus. You see, what he begins to see is that the way he was doing life gave him money, but it gave him no meaning. It gave him possessions, but it gave him no peace and no purpose. At some point, for those of us who are paying attention, we will begin to ask those deeper questions as to whether or not what we are doing is bringing us plenty of money, but is not giving us any meaning. Or is piling up possessions, but is not actually giving us any sense of peace or purpose. This is what Zacchaeus has realized. And when he finally realized that, everything about his life began to change. As Jesus said, this is why he came to save the lost. As I was kind of wrestling with this passage all week, there were really two words that kept coming to my mind. The first word was that word crowd. We see it uh, whenever Jesus, uh, or whenever we're told that Zacchaeus, you know, he couldn't see because of the crowd. But we also get it, I think, when we talk about how um, all the people there grumbled. I mean, I think you could have, instead of saying all the people, right, that's pretty much the crowd, and it made me focus on, including last week when we were talking about the blind man and how those in the crowd were, by and large, trying to tell him to be quiet, to not bother Jesus. The truth is this, that there is so much noise that the crowd around us brings. So much noise that we hear in the society around us. So many voices and so loud those voices are that are inside of us and that are constantly clamoring for attention. And what I love about this scene is that Zacchaeus has decided that he is done with it 
And that what he finally sees is that if he's going to be able to understand himself, if he's going to be able to understand God and who God is and what God longs for him to do and to be, he has got to get away from the crowd. But don't you love the way that he gets away from them? This is great, right? He, he, he doesn't just say, well, you know what? At some point, I'm going to stay in the crowd and Jesus is just going to trip over me and then I'll be able to see him and see how he sees me. No. He also doesn't say, well, you know what, at some point, uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep doing my tax collecting thing, keep going about my normal every day. And at some point then something will change and I'll all of a sudden begin to see things more clearly. No, no, no. Nor does he say, well, you know, at some point the crowd is going to finally just by themselves just on our society is just going to quiet and our, our children are just going to, you know, uh, kind of go off to their little quiet ways and just be each in their little rooms and, and reading their little books and, and saying, Mother, Father, how are you? And is this an okay time to interrupt you? No. Sorry, did I get too personal there? So, so what does he do? With incredible, I want you to see this, intentionality and determination. He hikes up his robe, okay? Naked legs. He cares not. He hikes them up and he runs from the crowd. He runs to the sycamore tree, right? He's running. This is how you would do, okay? He runs, right? He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He runs to the sycamore tree, right? And he climbs all the way up into the sycamore tree. He gets as far away. He is like, nothing is going to keep me from the solitude of the tree so that I can get away from all of the noise, all of the hullabaloo, because I need some time to just be able to listen and to be still. There are far too many of us, far too many of us who are so enveloped by all of the noise around us that we may not even know how loud it is. And we just think, well, at some point, things will get quieter. At some point, life will have more meaning or purpose. At some point, I will be able to see Jesus more clearly. But Zacchaeus gives us this wonderful image of someone who said, I have had it. And I am bound and determined to find a place where I can simply get away from the crowd so that I can hear Jesus. Henry Nouwen says it like this. He says, without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. In other words, this speaks to both things. Without solitude, we will continue to be victims. And by victims, I just simply mean we will just keep consuming, consuming the society, consuming the noise, consuming the rush, consuming all of those things. Or we'll be so caught up that we will never be reflective at all to ever begin to ask, wait, why am I doing this? What does this matter? And the only way now and says for us to be able to get some kind of vision of that is to climb up a tree, is to have some sense of solitude. 
I was recently reading a book by Parker Palmer, kind of a contemplative. He's actually a Quaker. And I read this, and I got to be honest with you, it's a little weird. But sometimes contemplatives can be a little bit odd. But the more I've thought about it, the more it's kind of resonated with me. So I, I say that as a caveat, just in case you hear this and you're like, okay, this is strange. It is, but it's also fascinating. Here's what Palmer says. He says, the soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, resourceful, savvy, self-sufficient. It knows how to survive in hard places, but it is also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks safety in the dense underbrush. If we want to see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out. But if we will walk quietly into the woods, sit patiently by the base of the tree, or I might say go up a tree like Zacchaeus and fade into our surroundings, the wild animal we seek might put in an appearance. I think this is simply another way of saying that if we actually want to be able to hear and to see Jesus, we've got to be able to be in places that are away from the crowd and the noise. My father uh, was a doctor, is a doctor, and one of the things I always loved is when he came home with the stethoscope. And, you know, the stethoscope is always a fun toy to have. We had, we had these little, you know, kid ones, Fisher-Price ones or whatever, but they stunk. They were no good. But the stethoscope was great, right? I mean, this was legit. And so we'd, you know, put our ears and we'd love to kind of go around and listen to things. But we, we really loved it uh, when we got to hear my dad, my father's heartbeat. And, and, and so, but to do that, right, my sister had to had to be quiet and I had to be quiet. But finally, right, when, when everyone was quiet and you put it up to my father, you could, you could hear his heartbeat. You could hear the rhythm of my father's heart. And I would suggest that that is much the same when it comes to God, that as long as there is so much noise going on in your life, that it is almost impossible to hear the rhythm and the heartbeat of our father. But when we get into those places that are quieter, we then are able to hear it and to learn and to understand him and thereby us in ever deeper ways. But let me be clear, and this is why this is the second word that I love so much, and that is the word today. We see it twice in just this passage. I must go to your house or your home today, and then today salvation has come to you. I didn't know this. Uh, Raymond Culpepper pointed it out to me, which is that um, Luke uses the word today more than any other gospel writer. He uses it like 11 times, kind of like how he also has Jesus going off into solitude uh, 10 or 11 times. Mark only says today once. Luke says it 11 times. There is a sense of urgency when it comes to Luke and when it comes to this passage. I think that's important for us to be mindful of because of the simple fact that it is so easy, again, for us to say, okay, we'll do this tomorrow. Things will slow down tomorrow. 
I was just talking to a couple of ZPCers earlier this week, and we were just talking about kind of retirement, and uh, they were talking about it more than I was, but, and they just made the comment, you know, you've probably thought about this before, about how fascinating that so many people seem to wait to live their lives until retirement. Well, we're, when we get to retirement, then this is going to, oh, wait, when we get to retirement, then we're going to do this. When we get to retirement, then that's going to happen. Just wait till when we get to retirement. And for so many, right, they hit retirement. And then for many of them, for whatever reason, right, not long after that, perhaps they pass or something else happens and everything changes. Far too many of us are waiting to get away from the crowd and from the noise. We'll do this when we get older. When we get in our 20s, we'll do this. When we get in our 30s, we'll do this. When we get in our 40s, things will quiet down. When we get in our 50s, things will quiet down. Wait till we get to our 60s. Oh, in the 70s, then we'll really have clarity. Then things will just kind of naturally, the crowds will just kind of slowly be quiet or, or maybe our 80s and it never comes. Tomorrow never gets there. The question is whether or not we are willing to begin to practice this today. January 21st, 2024. When I started kind of practicing my own acts of solitude, I want to be real clear, it was like 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Longest 10 minutes of my life. I hated it. Right? I was always one of those who would, you know, these contemplatives like Henry Now and be like, oh yeah, but they're all, you know, they're just these introverts. They don't like people. They're kind of strange, right? Whatever. Like, hey, I like people. But it was only after that, maybe, maybe like Zacchaeus, that only after Jesus called his name did he realize just how desperately he needed to hear his name called by Jesus. I think maybe it's only after we begin to practice this. Again, in short, with little short spurts, you know, 10 minutes. Start there. And there's not monumental. The first 10 minutes I did this, it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, oh, I saw Jesus. Oh, there Jesus sees me. Now I know what my meaning and purpose is. Now life makes sense. No, I mean, maybe that happens to you. It's so great, but not most of us. For most of us, it is this just kind of slow process but it happens today. And Jesus is looking at us and he is wanting you to know that today he must go home with you. Will we let him Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. 
When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy, rejoiced at welcoming him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. God, this morning, we come from different places but all of us, Lord, are susceptible to the noises of the crowd that is everywhere around us and within us. And so this morning, God, we simply stay, sit, and stand still. And we ask, God, that you would help us to see you but that you would give us an intentionality and a determination to create space today. That we might know that you are welcome into our homes. It's in your name we pray. Amen.